What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, I got a little something different for you. It's just me on the show today, just chatting about my top tips, basically, the 71 ways to become a better game designer. Now, originally, this content was over on the Board Game Design Lab YouTube channel, a video I made over there I'm pretty proud of, really excited about the way it turned out. But I realized that way, way, way more people listen to this show in audio format through the podcast than watch the YouTube videos. So first of all, if you didn't know, the Board Game Design Lab has a YouTube channel. It does. So, you know, check that out and hit that old subscribe button and all that good stuff. But I realized way more people listen than watch. And so I wanted to take all of that information and just reformat it, turn it into a podcast, because whether you're just starting out, you know, you've been designing games for 15 minutes or you've been designing games for a long, long time. I think there's a lot of really amazing nuggets of wisdom in all of this that you can take away from it. And most of this is an amalgamation of things I learned by interviewing people through this show just taking the nuggets of advice from the best designers in the world and kind of putting it all together and saying, okay, here are the top 71 tips that, that I've been able to kind of you know summarize and consolidate down and say, okay, here, here's the best stuff. And instead of doing like a little top 10 list, it's like, well, let's just do them all. And it turned out to be 71 ways in total. And I hope you're able to find some really great takeaways that will help you design great games that people love. In other news, today's episode is sponsored by GameFound, the go-to platform for tabletop creators and fans. GameFound has hosted many successful campaigns at this point, including Elder Scrolls, Castles of Burgundy, Tainted Grail, Kings of Ruin, just to name a few. And with a huge community on board, an experienced marketing team, and unique features, GameFound is a perfect choice for tabletop creators. And just speaking from a personal standpoint, I used GameFound a while back for my game Robomon, and it was the biggest, most successful campaign I've ever run. I really was impressed with GameFound's system, the overall platform, especially from the creator standpoint, the dashboard, the analytics, the team that works with you to kind of help get your game out into the world and marketed and things like that. Like I had a really good time using GameFound as a platform, working with the, the company. I don't have anything negative to say about him, just speaking personally. And, and so if you're thinking about running a campaign, I recommend at least looking at what they offer. Right. Your game might not be the best fit. You know, I don't think GameFound is the perfect fit for every game under the sun. But for certain games, I think it is a great option to run a crowdfunding campaign. And like I said, I had a lot of success there. I look forward to using them again in the future for other campaigns. And so, yeah, check them out. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Crowdfunding Nerds, also known as Next Level Web. This group of crowdfunding specialists has worked on over 100 projects and helped raise nearly $15 million. But the truly amazing part is that most of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They charge flat fees and offer simple monthly pay-as-you-go plans. And the record for funding projects on day one is over 90%. I've personally been working with them for years and they have been instrumental in helping me raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own campaigns. Andrew and his team are honest, hardworking, and reliable, and they have been absolutely phenomenal to work with. So if your game is awesome, but your email list is pitiful, visit crowdfundingnerds.com and fill out a contact form today. All right, so you want to be a better game designer, but how do you do that? Like, what are some actionable steps you can take to design great games that people love? Actually, what are 71 actionable steps you can take? Let's talk about it. Number one, know your why. 
why are you making this game? Why do you think it needs to exist? Why should it be brought to market? Is that, is that something you want to do? Do you want to publish this game and, and create a product? Or is this something just for fun, just an enjoyable artistic exercise for you to play or you and your family, you and your friends, you and your dog, whatever. But why does this game need to come out of you? And if it's going to be something you want to turn into a product, that's going to create some different choices, some different things that you have to figure out versus a game that you're designing just for fun, just for something uh, to do, maybe something to relieve stress. I used to do that a lot of, of just designing games to kind of get away from all the craziness of the world. And there's really no wrong answer. It just depends on what you want to do. And so determining that pretty early on can be very helpful in the game design process. Number two, find the fun. What is the best part of your game? What are the main things that, that really create that enjoyable experience for players? The way I look at it, I'm, I'm not trying to create a game. I'm trying to create a fun engine that players put time in and it bounces around the engine and they get fun out on the other side. And that's super helpful when, when I'm figuring out, okay, do I want to add this or cut this or what mechanism and theme? All those choices really come down to what creates the best, most fun experience. And so figuring that out as early as you can, but you know, it doesn't matter if it comes middle or late as well, but then leaning into what are the funnest, best parts of this game. And then let's get rid of all the other stuff. Number three, focus more on the player experience than the theme or the mechanisms. A lot of times people get so bogged down with being very specific about, okay, I want to have this mechanic, this mechanism, the way the game works, or I need this very specific theme or thematic idea. And then they miss the overall experience that they're actually trying to create for the players. So for instance, if you're trying to make a game about Cthulhu, right? Do you want the players to feel like they're slowly going insane and they're just trying to solve a mystery before going crazy? Or do you want them to feel powerful and they're running around shooting Cthulhu in the face with a shotgun? Because those are two very different experiences. And then the thematic ideas, the, the game mechanisms, everything that comes off of that is going to be very different. And so focusing early on, especially, but then kind of figuring it out through playtesting, which we'll talk more about in a minute, how does this all come together for a cohesive experience? And the sooner you figure that out, the sooner you kind of understand that, and if you have that idea going in, it makes game design so much easier. But how do you want players to feel and then add all the other cool stuff after that? Number four, begin with the end in mind. How do you win? What creates the end state of the game? What brings the game to an ultimate end? Are you, are you wanting the players to feel powerful? Are you wanting them to feel smart or, or better than their friends because they were able to understand the combos of the game and the way the engine was being built? But what ends the game and how do players accomplish whatever ultimate goal there is? You don't necessarily have to know this at the beginning, but the sooner that you know it, the easier everything else gets because now everything you do can point to the end game and can kind of push players, motivate them in different ways to get to that end game that somebody wins or everybody loses depending on what kind of game you're creating. But figure that out as early as you can. What's the end? How do people win? Number five, explain the game to somebody in two minutes or less. And if you can't, it's probably too complicated. It's probably not something that people are really going to resonate with because if people don't understand, they typically don't buy it. They typically don't want to spend their time or energy or effort on it. And so what is your game? What's it about? Think of it as a pitch or like the hook that draws people in. And if you're going to create a game that goes to Kickstarter or it's on a store shelf somewhere, you got to do it quick and preferably in like one sentence, maybe two, you know, use the visuals, whatever that you're going to use for marketing, but you got to be able to explain it quickly draw people in for them to go, ooh, that sounds like something I want to play, I want to buy, I want to check out. And if you can't, cut some things out or at least figure out a better way to say it.
Number six, less is more. A lot of times new designers think, oh, I've got a problem. I should solve it by adding more. I should add more rules. I should have add more complications, more things going on. When actually the opposite is typically true. What can you take away? What rules can you get rid of? What entire systems are just really not that fun or not that necessary for the game? Cut them out. Less is more. The more stuff you have in the game, the more rules you have, the thicker the rule book is, the less likely people are to buy it. Now, this isn't always the case. There are plenty of Euro games out there that take three hours to play. Twilight Imperium takes eight hours to play, and people love it. But those are the exceptions to the rule, and please don't ever think you're going to be the outlier. It's probably not going to happen. And so what can you cut out of your game? What can you uh, do to make it more succinct, fewer rules, fewer edge cases? Just cut things out. Less is more. Number seven kind of follows up with number six in don't add too many new things to a game design. For example, Dominion. Dominion is a deck builder. That's all it is. There's no board. There's no pieces. There's nothing else going on. All you do is build a deck because at the time that had never really been done before, at least not in that way. And so it was very new. People had to get used to it, get, you know, figure it out. Now you can have a deck builder with a million other things going on. And there are plenty, plenty of examples of that, but if you're going to create a game that's kind of new and people aren't really sure about it, the mechanism is an interesting one. It hasn't really been done before. That's enough. That's, that's plenty to, for players to figure out. So don't keep adding, adding, adding. Again, less is more, but don't add too many new things at the same time or just don't keep stacking up complication because, again, it's just a lot for players to understand. It's a lot of rules to learn. So, yeah, keep it simple again. Number eight, learn from every bad design. You are going to make some really terrible games. You're going to have some really bad ideas. It's just part of the process. Every game designer goes through it. Don't feel bad. Don't feel like, oh, I'm not any good at this, even though you're, you're probably not yet. Uh, you know, honestly, you develop taste long before you develop skill. In other words, you know what is good long before you can create anything good. And that's the same with everyone. No matter who you are, no matter what art form you're into, you have to start the process as, as a beginner that's not any good. And eventually over time, you get better. The trick is just don't stop. Don't quit. Just keep going and make sure you learn from every mistake, every bad idea, every bad design, and make sure you take the good out of those bad ideas and kind of put them on the shelf and come back to them later. I can't tell you how many times I've been working on a game, run into a problem, and realized, oh, I figured out the answer to this a year ago in that game that was trash, but I can take that one idea out of that bad game, apply it to this new game, and all of a sudden, I've got something interesting. Number nine, reuse what works. One thing you'll, you'll notice about really good game designers, designers with lots of games on the market, a lot of times they'll kind of have a similarity. They'll use a very similar mechanism or they'll use a different way to look at the same mechanism and it makes sense. They've gotten really good at that thing and then they just have new ideas about ways to turn it to different angles and try it in different ways. And so you can do the same thing. If, if you're really good at designing deck building games, then make deck building games. Like, don't feel like you have to prove something or you have to do something else just for whatever reason to show that you're an actual legit game designer. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Reuse what works. Learn from other people, uh, their game designs. Reuse things that they, they use. What are the games that you enjoy? What are those mechanisms and themes and all the ideas for the player experience? How can you reuse that? Put your own spin on it. Look at it from a different angle and create something new. There, there are no new ideas. Really, that's truly. Picasso said, I know a good idea when I steal one, basically, right? That there's no, no new ideas. You just kind of borrow from other people and create new ways to look at things. Number 10, get out of the echo 
chamber. What that means is don't just listen to people who know you and like you and are friends with you, your mom, your dog. Uh, get out and find other people to play your game with, to play their game, to play other published games, you know, complete strangers, people you're not really on the same wavelength with in life, like different kinds of people learn from them. They're going to have different ideas. They're going to have different mindsets, different reasons why they play games. They're going to experience your experience differently. And that's super helpful, super, super important. And so make sure you're not just kind of bogged down listening to people who are only going to tell you good things and aren't actually going to go, Hey, this sucks and give you some ideas about why find those people find people that will tell you the truth constructively in a loving way obviously not not someone that's just going to be mean to you because they're insecure but someone that actually cares enough to go hey i don't think this is very good let's let's maybe try something else but it's super helpful uh, to find those people and then just surround yourself with people that tell you the truth number 11 get involved with a game design community Find other like-minded people that are thinking about game design, working on things, prototyping games that can give you advice and ideas and that you can help them as well. Please don't try to do this in isolation. I know a lot of people are afraid that someone's going to steal their idea. They're going to go make a million dollars off of your hard work and your effort and energy. It just doesn't happen, especially in the board gets... Number 11, get involved with a game design community. Don't try to just do this on your own in isolation. There are some amazing online communities where you can find like-minded people, people who are also designing games who can offer advice and give you ideas, and then you can help them as well. I know a lot of people are afraid that someone's gonna steal their idea, that they're gonna go make a million dollars off of your hard work and all of your effort, but it doesn't really happen, especially in the board game space, people are pretty open and honest about things and that's actually for the best and just always remember the old saying if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together right find other people that can help you that you can bring on board that you can help them everybody wins when you're involved with a community and let me recommend the board game design lab facebook community it's the best game design group on the internet tons and tons of people it's encouraging it's it's just an amazing group of folks that will help you design great games that people love. Number 12, go to game design conventions and meetups. There are a ton of conventions called Unpub and there's Protospiel and there's all sorts of local meetups. There's lots of places where you can get out of your house, take your game with you, sit down with other designers and other people that are there to play test designs that aren't done yet. Everybody knows that going in so you can have some pretty good uh, feedback. They're not expecting this to be a fully polished, fully you know ready to go published game. But it, it oh, you learn so many amazing things, not only by having people play test and, and check out your game, but by you being in the atmosphere, networking with people, and then playing and play testing their games. It's going to give you ideas. You're going to be able to help them, vice versa. Go find a convention, a meetup. If you don't have any in your area, start one. Get online, meetups, and you know different websites where you can create those things, get the word out, post online, go into forums and say, hey, this is where I live. Anybody want to get together? Let's get some lunch. Let's get some coffee. Let's play test each other's games. Let's get better. Trust me, you'll become a much better game designer because of it. Number 13, don't get mad if you have an ugly baby. Everybody's got ugly babies when it comes to art. Uh, some people have ugly babies when it comes to babies, but hopefully that's not you. But anyway, uh, your game is going to have ugly parts. It's going to have things that don't belong, that need to be cut out. And when people let you know that, don't get mad about it. 
say thank you. It's a wonderful thing to find out. It's like finding out, you know, part of you has cancer and then the surgeon's like, hey, you got cancer. We should cut it out. Hopefully you don't get mad at the surgeon uh, in that moment. Uh, and if you do, there's probably some other issues going on. And so again, kind of let go of the insecurity, let go of this as a child. This is not your child. Okay. This is not your identity. This is something that you have created that you want other people to play and enjoy. And so part of that process of making it the best it can be is to hear criticism and to get feedback that's negative and to look at things and go, this is kind of bad and either put it on the shelf or is there a way to make it better, fix it, cut things out, maybe change some things around and make it the experience that you really and truly want it to be. And when you get that negative feedback, just remember, chew the meat, spit out the bones, you know, take in the good and the bad and kind of figure out what makes the most sense and then go from there. Number 14, and along those same lines, don't get upset, don't begrudge publishers who reject your game. If your goal is to get the game published and, and out on the market and you submit it to different publishers and they send it back and say, hey, it's not what we're looking for. Or sometimes they'll even give you feedback and say, hey, this is why. It's got these issues. This is what we noticed. We're not looking for this theme or this idea or this experience right now. Don't get upset. Don't write an angry email. Don't write an email that even like tries to defend your game. Like, oh, well, you played it wrong and this, that, and the other. If they did, maybe send that in and go, hey, well, actually, you know, here's the feedback you gave me, but I feel like maybe you played it wrong. Maybe the rule set I sent in wasn't, wasn't as clear. You know, maybe, maybe we can have a, a quick conversation, but I can't tell you how many times I've had people send me messages and talk to me in real life as a publisher and it doesn't do them any favors, right? It doesn't make me go, oh, I really want to work with this person who's yelling at me. <laughs> and so remember, you're not only selling a game, you're in a lot of ways selling yourself. And so don't say things, don't send messages that are angry or super defensive or like, hey, you're, you're, you didn't do it right. If you want to maybe reach out to that publisher again, because maybe this game isn't right for them, but the next one is. And so don't mess things up now because it's going to mess things up in the future. So again, Reach out to publishers for sure. Submit your games to be published. But when they send criticism, they send feedback, or they reject you, just say thanks for checking it out. I'll talk to you again later. Number 15, along those same lines, seek to understand. If someone is giving you feedback, if they're giving you criticism, don't get defensive, don't get upset. I've heard one game designer, actually he, he beats this by anytime he sits down with a, play, with a group of playtesters, he'll say, hey, a friend of mine designed this game. And he asked me if I would help him get it play tested. And so we're going to sit down, we're going to play it. And if you have any feedback, any criticisms, any ideas, then just let me know and I'll relay it to my friend because now people feel more open. They feel like they can be a little more honest about the game and their experience and the flaws and things that they're seeing or playing. And they don't feel like they're hurting anybody's feelings because to their knowledge, the designer is not at the table. And so that can be a little dangerous. So be aware of that. Like make sure you have the security and the self-confidence to, to do that, uh, first of all. But second of all, maybe that's an, uh, an idea you can try to get the best feedback out of your players, but just seek to understand. Again, don't get defensive. Don't get super upset. Just hear what people have to say. Listen to it. Use what's good. Discard the rest and then go from there. Number 16, realize that perception is reality. When players ultimately open your game and your box and they, they sit down to play it, you're probably not going to be there to explain what you were trying to do. And so you have to understand that. And so when you're playtesting, when, when things are going on and people are having a certain experience, don't tell them they're wrong because they're probably not. And it's going to be way worse if the game ever does come out in a published form. And so realize that when you're, when you're playing your game, designing your game, Whatever the perception is, that's the truth. Whether it's actually correct based on what you are attempting to do, what you're trying to do, 
It's really about the perception. So design and change things accordingly. Number 17, don't talk bad about other people in the industry unless it's super warranted. Now, if there's some really bad behavior, someone's doing something, saying something that's it's legitimately just wrong and needs to be called out and people need to be held accountable, by all means, go for it. But in general, try not to create drama with people, especially if it's just based on like their political beliefs. Unfortunately, a lot of people in various industries have been captured by their ideology. And so if you follow them on Twitter or, or Facebook, anything like that, you're going to see a lot of stuff that they post that maybe you completely disagree with. But especially if it has nothing to do with what you're actually connected by, like if it's if it has nothing to do with game design or the publishing industry or anything like that, if it's something about human rights in one direction or the other, like you have to really weigh out, like, is it worth engaging with this person that you vehemently disagree with? Because ultimately maybe that undercuts you later on, right? So if you have a big disagreement with someone, you get online and you you have to make sure they know how wrong they are and they're going to return the favor and they're going to do everything they can to make sure you know how wrong you are. What do you gain? I mean, you've, you've wasted a lot of time. You waste a lot of energy. You're not going to change their mind. And if they happen to be a gatekeeper, which a lot of these like really ideologically based people sometimes are, then maybe you're ending, ending up gatekeeping yourself out of something, not because of anything in the industry, not because of your design skills or, or because of your game being good or not, but because you disagree on some other thing. And so just be aware of that. Like, is it worth it to engage with people for things not game design, game publishing related, my answer is probably not. So let things go. Let people believe different things. And, and you know, if you get to know them in real life, have that conversation one-on-one -on -one over lunch one day, doing it online on the internet might actually mess you up more than it helps. Number 18, know your customer avatar. So if you want to get your game published, if it's going to be for a specific group of people, a certain demographic, whether it's families, or solo gamers, whatever it is, know who that person is that you're aiming at. And what I like to do is actually write it down. Write down Steve, and Steve is 32 years old, and he's got three kids, and he only has 30 minutes a week to play a solo game. And so, and this is the kind of experience he wants. Like, it's so helpful, so beneficial in designing the game overall when you can look at your customer as a real person and then design with that person in mind. It makes a lot of choices easier. It gives you a decision filter in a lot of ways that every time you have a new idea, new choice or new decision for the design, you can filter it through that person, through that demographic, through that avatar, and then make a choice based on that. It makes things so much easier. Know who your game is for and why. Number 19, build an email list. I know social media is, is flashier. I know there's you know, video and all the things you can do with social media, but there's still nothing better marketing wise than an email list. Even if you want to get your game published by someone else, you're going to pitch it to a publisher and they're going to do all the manufacturing and the marketing and all that. Even still, if you can build up an email list around your game, around you as a designer or anything, that's going to help so much later on when you're actually trying to sell your game. It also will help you get the game published. So like if you go to a publisher and you say, hey, I've got this game idea, here's how it works. And then you also say, I've got a thousand people on an email list that are interested in this game that want to buy it whenever it becomes available. That makes you a much better uh, person to, to bring on to publish your game, it makes you much more marketable because the publisher realizes, hey, we're starting with a thousand people. We're starting ahead. We're not starting from scratch, starting at zero. We're already ahead of the game. And so anything you can do to bring people in to an email list, maybe it's a bi-weekly or a monthly newsletter where you just kind of send out updates. Hey, here's the game. Here's some pictures of the prototype. Get on Board Game Geek. Start some forum strings about that, You know, posting about the game. Getting people interested, getting them excited 
you can't go wrong. And that way, when the game does come to market, when it goes to Kickstarter, when it becomes available, you've already got people that want to buy it, whether you're doing it yourself or pitching it to a publisher, build an email list. Number 20 is a follow-up of that. Make sure you communicate regularly with the people interested in your game. Maybe you've got a Facebook group that you've built, or maybe it's a Board Game Geek forum, newsletter, whatever it is. Make sure you're sending out regular posts. Don't send out one and then wait six months and then give an update. Now, if you haven't done anything in six months, you've kind of took a hiatus from the design, hey, it happens. But typically, you want to work on things regularly and then update people regularly so it brings in more people. The hype goes up a little bit, but you have to manage the hype. You're not trying to be like, hey, this is the greatest game since Monopoly. You're not trying to do that. You're just trying to post progress, and that makes people feel involved. They feel like they're part of it. They got to see the behind-the-scenes, inside look before everybody else. kind of makes them feel good, feel better, more likely to back the game on Kickstarter. But anyway, communicate regularly, whether you're like in the Board Game Design Lab Facebook group and just saying, hey guys, here's some progress. Check out the latest uh, prototype of my game. You'll have people comment, say, oh, that's really cool. But again, it gets interest. It also might help people uh, see it and then offer some feedback or something like that. So anyway, be regular with your communication. Number 21, get better at public speaking. Now, you're probably not going to have to get up in front of thousands of people because of your game design, although if you do, it's pretty cool because it probably means you did something amazing that a lot of people want to hear about. But in general, the skill set of public speaking is not ever going to do you wrong, uh, especially when it comes to sitting down, maybe at a convention, you're meeting with a publisher, you're giving them a pitch for your game. You got to be able to sit there and, and talk and carry on that conversation, carry on that pitch in a way that makes them go, hey, this person's a pro. This is someone we really want to work with. Or if you're demoing your game and you've got three or four players there at the table, you need to be concise. You need to say things again without going, um, 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 like uh, this. And so get better at public speaking, whatever that looks like. Take an online class, go to a local community college and, and just see if you can take a class there. But whatever it takes. Get better at public speaking. You're never going to go wrong with that. And it'll give you more confidence. It'll give you more security, more self-esteem to do all these other things better as well. Number 22, go pro. What does it look like for you to be a professional? Even if you're not making any money, even if game design is literally nothing but putting you in the red right now and you're spending money but you're not bringing anything in, still, what does it look like to be a professional? If you were doing this full-time, if you were doing this as a pro, how would you organize your time? How would you organize your schedule and your life? Like what kind of sacrifices would you be making? Because if you're serious about this and you actually want to do this in a way that, that brings in money later, that you're getting games published and, and are out there on the market that people can buy as products, go ahead and start acting like that. Like what would a professional do? How would they act? Do that now. And the more you do it, the more you'll become it. And so GoPro, what does that look like for you and your life? And go ahead and start doing it now. Number 23, give more to the game design community than you take. In other words, be a ladder builder, not just a ladder climber. There are very few things in life that I, I know to be true. More than this, the more you give, the more you receive, the more you take, the more you lose. It just is what it is. It doesn't necessarily make sense if you write it down on paper, but that just it's just a way of life. And so how can you help other others? How can you build them up, encourage them, give them ideas and feedback? Because when you do that, they want to reciprocate. They naturally want to help you. Now, don't do this selfishly and make it a transaction. I'm going to help you and then you're going to help me. That's not what this is about. Do it out of generosity. Do it out of kindness. Do it out of love for the, the game design community, the game design uh, skill set, you know, as an art form, as a craft. And I promise you, the more you do it, the more you help others, the more is going to come back to help you be a ladder builder. Be a ladder builder, not just a ladder climber.
Number 24 follows up on that, play other people's prototypes, right? Maybe you send them your prototype and they send theirs and then you, you play it and you get some feedback and you send it back. You know, that works really, really well. Go to some conventions, reach out to people and just say, hey, I've got some time blocked off. I've got my schedule kind of figured out. I'm going to go pro. I'm going to do this in a way that actually I set certain days and certain times for different things. And playtesting is, is one of those things I do on a weekly or biweekly basis and reach out to people and say, hey, can I playtest your game? One, it's going to create a ton of goodwill. They're going to want to reciprocate. Uh, but two, you're going to learn a ton just by playing other people's unfinished games and see what the problems that they're they're going through and the solutions they're trying to figure out and the ideas and give them feedback. It's such an incredible process. So play other people's prototypes. Number 25, play other people's published games. Don't fall into the trap of only playing prototypes, of only playtesting your game and not actually going out into uh, the market and buying games or going to conventions and playing games that are really good, that are polished, that are complete, that have their graphic design finished and the user experience. All those different things, you're going to learn so much. Play as many games as you can. It's kind of like free throws. You want to get better at shooting free throws, you got to shoot free throws over and over again. If you want to get better at designing games, get to design games, but also play a ton of games to figure out how to do it well. So make sure you're playing other people's published games. Number 26, watch other people playing great games. Go to game night, go to a convention, get you something to drink, get you some popcorn, and just watch. Just tell people, hey, I'm going to set this one out. I'm just going to watch y'all play. I'll get in on the next one. And then watch the experience. Don't just watch the game and see who's going to win or lose, but watch them as they play. Watch the people who it's not their turn. What are they doing during downtime? What are they doing while other people are, are figuring out their turns? What are the things that are going on, the dynamics? What's the overall experience? Take some notes, figure it out, and go, okay, this is the game. Here's the kind of experience it's going for. Here's what I'm noticing in the players as they play it, and then how can I apply that to my own game design in the in the games that I'm trying to create? You'll learn a lot, I promise. It's like watching film with, with a sport. You know, you, you just learn a lot. You see all the little details that you normally miss if you're only watching the game to see who scores and see who wins or loses. Watch people playing the game. What's going on? Take notes. Number 27, read what designers have to say. There are so many amazing blogs and so many things on Board Game Geek where you can Get behind the scenes and you can uh, read a designer's thought process, their design journals, the kind of, you know, talking about along the way, along their journey of going from nothing, from scratch, all the way to finished, published game. Learn from it. It's it's such a rare thing. Most industries don't do this. They, they don't say, hey, here's the idea and here's how I changed it and here's what did work and here's what didn't work and here's all the ways that I came up with solutions and ideas and all take advantage of that. There are so many amazing places. Cardboard Edison is a great place. It's just a, a resource for, you know, as, as blogs and, and different things come out, you can go there, you know, once every few days and see, is there anything new or once a week and go, okay, what are the new blogs? What are the new uh, discussions and conversations being had around game design? Read those things, learn from it. Again, if you want to be really good at this, don't try to do it on your own. Don't just try to figure everything out for yourself. Take some time, put in the effort, learn from other people's experience through reading what they have to say. There's also a ton of amazing books on the market as well. Read everything you can. Get as good as you possibly can. The more you can learn from other people and their failures, the better you'll be. I mean, failure is the best teacher by far, but it doesn't have to be your failure only that you learn from. Learn from other people's experiences as well. Number 28, along the same lines, listen to what designers have to say. There are so many amazing podcasts on the internet where you can just listen to conversations and interviews from game designers and publishers and people in marketing and accounting and, and all the different aspects of gaming and game design. 
listen to those podcasts. The Board Game Design Lab podcast. It's got over 300 episodes where I covered as many topics as I could possibly come up with. I talked to some of the best minds, the best designers in the industry. Go listen to as much as you can. Go and find the topics that you're interested in. Find the, you know, the topics that are about games that you're working on or things you've never even thought about. Listen to what people have to say. I promise you'll get some amazing ideas. You'll come up with ways to overcome the obstacles that you're facing to, to fix the broken problems, the broken things in your game. Just sit down, listen. Again, maybe you're uh, cutting the grass and listening. Maybe you're you know, doing some kind of mundane task or maybe it's your morning ritual. But whatever, figure out times that you can listen to what people have to say. You'll get a lot from it. Number 29, listen to gamers' problems with published games. That's why it's so valuable to be part of various Facebook communities or board game geek forums and different things where people are complaining. And sometimes it gets a little petty and it gets a little too negative and you're just like, oh my gosh, get over it. <laughs> but you can learn from a lot of those things as people post about issues they have with the game. Maybe it's graphic design. Maybe it's the game lasts too long. Maybe the player count said five players, but this should really be played with three. Whatever it is though, listen to what they're saying about those games that are already on the market, that someone has already said, hey, this is good enough to bring to the market as a product, to charge people money for it. It already you know, made a hundred thousand or a million dollars on Kickstarter. But what are people's problems? What are their criticisms of those things that are already out there? And how can you internalize it and, and figure out ways to make your own games, your own game designs better based on the criticisms of other published games? Number 30, never let an idea get forgotten. Remember that your brain is much better at having ideas than storing ideas. So always have some method, some app, some notebook, something that you can write things down or, or take notes on your phone, whatever it is. That way when ideas come in that you organize them in some way that you can come back to them later. I am the worst about saying, hey, if it's a good idea, it'll, it'll come back. That's not true. And I can't tell you how many things I have lost to the just sands of time and just the, the recesses of the dark places in my brain. And hopefully they come back, but there's no guarantee on that. And so now I make sure that anytime I have an idea, I wake up in the middle of the night or I'm in the shower or something like that, I have a way to organize things, to write things down, and then we'll see what happens. Sometimes, a lot of times, they're not very good and they're not worth actually coming back to, but sometimes have an idea that actually turns into something special. So make sure you've got a way to uh, write down ideas and then keep them collected, keep them organized. Number 31, watch game reviews. It's not possible to play all the games that are coming out on the market today. I mean, I think around 700 came out at Gen Con alone last year. You're never going to be able to get to them all, but you can watch game reviews and see the new trends, see how other game designers are approaching various ideas and mechanisms and themes and learn from it. Again, it's kind of like watching film on other teams and figuring out what they do really well. And then how can you do that also? And so, yeah, get, get online, get on YouTube and just find game reviews. Watch game reviews of games that you're really interested in, games that like are similar to what you're trying to create. Watch game reviews for things that you have no interest in at all because, again, you can learn from all of it. Watch game reviews. Number 32, design with production cost in mind. Board games can be expensive, right? Uh, there are plenty of $100 games on the market. The question is, should you be designing one of those games at the moment? If you don't have a body of work, if you don't have a portfolio of games, you know, if you haven't built up an audience, it's going to be a bit of a hard sale to go to a publisher and say, hey, here's my $100 game. It's got a ton of miniatures and custom dice and boards and cards. That's a hard sell if you haven't built up something for them to go, yes, this is worth 
that investment. And so it might be much better for you to design a game that's a $20 price point, a card game with maybe some dice, maybe some cubes, and just kind of build up your experience, build up something to say to a publisher, hey, here are the games I've created, here's what's worked, here's the audience I've built up, here's the people that are a fan of me and my games. It's a much easier sell. So again, just design with price point in mind and and production cost. Uh, Also, if you're designing, even if you are a well-known designer, a $200 game is a very hard sell. Even in the deluxified Kickstarter you know, world, uh, that's still, it's a lot of money for people to pay. And so just be aware of that. How many miniatures do you really need? How many custom dice? How many custom components in general? Can you get away with just using generic regular D6s or something like that? Or do you really have to have that custom piece? Is it is it something that really makes the game better? Or could you do something uh, easier and cheaper? So anyway, design with the production cost in mind. Number 33, don't think too much about the production cost. Don't get so caught up in, okay, this many cards is going to be this much and dice are this many pennies and this many cubes is this many, you know, it's 15 cents versus 17 cents. It can get really easy to get bogged down in worrying too much about it. So again, just kind of go into with a general idea of, okay, this is a $30 game. It's a family style game. It takes 40 minutes to play. It's for, you know, kids and their parents to play they're probably not going to spend $75, right? So I need to really think through the production cost, but don't overthink it. Don't get bogged down because a lot of times it just becomes procrastination as opposed to actually doing something that matters. So don't overthink production cost. Number 34, meet people. Get out there and network, whether it's at conventions or just online in different communities or through forums and things like that. Become someone that people know, right? And you don't have to be in there every moment of every day and comment on everything, but just be around. Be someone that shows up and offers feedback, someone who you know comments and provides encouragement, provides ideas, someone who posts and asks for feedback, right? Be someone that others know as someone that is enjoyable to talk to. It's really just that simple because when you when you sit down down to pitch a game to a publisher if you're someone they've already interacted with or someone that they've just kind of seen that you're you know someone in the community in some way it can be pretty helpful it's a lot of times who you know and who knows you it's just the way of the world number 35 along the same networking idea go to conventions meet people build fans build an audience for your games even if you're just in the the open play area and you've got a little thing set up and you can play test your game or if you're going to the the play testing rooms a lot of times conventions will have specific areas to sign up and bring your prototypes to and people come in it's a great place to meet designers great place to meet publishers and, and gamers in general but go to conventions have fun see other products that are coming out see how they're marketed see how they're sold just go enjoy buy some games have have fun. Again, this is a fun industry to be a part of. Go out there and enjoy it to the fullest. Number 36, learn how to demo a game. Go to conventions and watch how really good designers and publishers demo their games. Take some notes, right? What are the things that they really focus on? What are the things that they make sure to put at the beginning of you know teaching how to play the game, the middle, the end? What are some things that they leave out for various reasons and then maybe bring up as the game gets going? You don't necessarily have to teach every single rule before a game starts. Sometimes you do, but not always, right? And so what are they doing? And then how can you grow and become better at demoing your own games? And, and you know, get some experience. Try to demo published games that, that you really enjoy, right? Go and, and have fun teaching other people how to play them grow in that because when you sit down with the publisher to pitch your game and you have to kind of demo it to them teach them the rules teach them and show them what makes it fun what makes it worth publishing this is a wonderful skill set 
to have because the better their experience is going into the game, like before it starts, the better experience they're going to have as they actually play it and makes you more likely uh, to get your game published. So learn how to demo a game, do it over and over again, get good at it. Number 37, also at conventions, volunteer to work in publishers' booths. This is a great way to network and get to know people in the industry to help them out as you work the booth and you're helping out with selling games or demoing games or whatever else, you know, the, the setup, the tech down. I can't tell you how many times publishers are in the last minute right before a convention starts like, hey, I need somebody else to come help because somebody got sick or they had to drop out. And it's a great way to just kind of be involved in the industry, build relationships that maybe turn into things down the road where they say, hey, don't you have a game? You're a game designer. Aren't you working on something? You know, send me a sell sheet. Send me a prototype. And maybe that turns into an actually, uh, you know, actually publishing your game. But also, typically, you get a free badge for the convention, you know, and you have to work you know, a certain number of hours, and then you get to just experience the convention, you know, as much as you want after that. A lot of times, they'll pay for uh, a plane ticket and travel and food. So it's kind of a good deal overall. And again, it just kind of immerses you more and more into the industry, builds your relationships, builds your network. It's a good thing to do working uh, publisher's booths at conventions. Number 38, take one bite at a time. I realize this is a list of 71 things you can do to grow and get better as a game designer, but don't let it overwhelm you. Don't let game design in general be overwhelming because I know it can be. A lot of times there's so much going on. There's so much to think about. There's so many different angles you have to be aware of. But just take one bite at a time. Just try to get better at one thing today. What does that look like to get 1% better as opposed to trying to make these giant leaps and, oh, I'm 40% better. Just get 1% better today. Work on one thing. Eventually, you'll you'll grow your skill set. Your skill set will get bigger and better, and you'll be able to work on multiple things. You can kind of keep a lot more on your mind at the same time, but especially early on, what's one thing I can do today? And a lot of times also, it turns into procrastination. It turns into just being kind of overwhelmed. It's a daunting experience to design a game, especially a big game, a meaty game with a lot going on. And so a lot of times you're just like, ah, I'll do it tomorrow. And it's always saying, I'll do it tomorrow. But what's one thing you can do today? What can you work on right now to push the game design forward? Don't let it overwhelm you. You're going to be fine. Number 39, borrow from other games. There are no new ideas, right? Very, very rarely does something come along that's just like brand new, wow, this never existed before. And even then, it's usually just a different way of doing something that was already established. Realize that we are all standing on the shoulders of giants. And so it's okay to borrow from other other games and other ideas. And, you know, you want to give it your own spin. You don't, don't want to just like take their idea and put a new theme on it. That's meh. Don't do that. But like take their idea and then what, what can you say about it? How can you add a different idea to it? How can you turn it on its head? How can you look at it from the opposite angle and then go from there? But, but don't feel like you're stealing. You're just borrowing. <laughs> and the good news is that person that you're borrowing from borrowed from a lot of other people as well. It's just part of it. So borrow from other games. It's already established. You already know it works. It's already on the market. It sells. How can you do it in a cool way or a different way or just something that's uh, more interesting? Number 40 is FOCUS, which stands for follow one course until successful. A lot of times as designers, we have shiny object syndrome that we're constantly looking at the new shiny idea and we have a million things going on and we never finish any of them because anytime it gets to a point where uh, something is not as enjoyable, you're not getting the, the same dopamine hit or something like that. It's like, ah, I'll move on to the next thing. And then before you know it, you've just got a graveyard of ideas and nothing really to actually show for it. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. If you want to design games just for fun, just to relieve stress, just as an interesting hobby, 
by all means, do whatever you want. That's fine. But if you want to bring games to market, if you actually want to be a pro game designer that has games published, then you need to focus. You need to figure out, okay, what can I do today to move this one project forward and then do that over and over again until it's done. It's just a better way to do it, to avoid shiny object syndrome and constantly jumping from one thing to the next focus. Number 41, or don't focus. It really comes down to your own personal style, your own personal skill set. Personally, what I do is I usually have two to three, sometimes four, usually around three games that I'm working on at the same time and I'm kind of bouncing around. I've got an idea for this one. Let's work on that. I just finished the prototype for this one. Let's play test it. I just kind of bounce back and forth as I have ideas, as I get some energy about one, get a little juice flowing about one, I'll work on it for a little bit, bounce to the next until it gets to a place where it's like almost done. It's like 70, 75% done. Then I get laser focused. Let's finish this one let's see what it looks like to bring it to market and then i'll come back to these other ones when i have time or when you know when there's something going on that i just need to take a break but i get laser focused once a game is like ready to go across the finish line and that's what works for me you'll figure out what works for you you'll come up with your own system your own schedule and then just kind of lean into that find out what's best for you and how you operate that actually gets games finished actually gets you know things to completion but then just do that. Maybe it's laser focusing only one thing at a time. Maybe it's three things. Probably not 10 things. I think there is a certain maximum that 90% of people have. It's like, okay, if I go beyond this, I'm never getting anything done. But you might be able to work on multiple at the same time and get them all across the finish line. It's just whatever works best for you. But the main thing is you got to figure out what works best for you. And that takes time. But then when, you, when you're there, when you figure it out, lean into it. Do that over and over and over again. Number 42, know when to walk away. Know when to put the game on a shelf and also know when to just put it in the trash and not come back to it at all. Maybe bring up some ideas that worked and bring those back later, but maybe the game just doesn't need to exist. Maybe it doesn't have a place in the market, or at least not right now. Or something I ran into a lot early on in my game design journey is I would run into a problem that I just didn't have the skill set yet to overcome. I just didn't have the ability to figure it out, to fix it. And so I would put things on the shelf, and then years later, I've come back to designs and go, okay, this was a cool idea, and now I've learned, I've grown, I actually understand how to solve the problems I was running into. And then it actually becomes a game that it becomes a product and gets on the market. And so it's, it can be hard to know when. That's why also it's really good to have other people around you that will tell you the truth and go, you know, this is just not that fun. And maybe you can change it. Maybe you can add some things or take some things away that actually increases the fun that we're having. You know, maybe the game works. It works as a game, but it's not enjoyable to play. But again, that's why it's good to have people there to tell you the truth. But just get to a point where you let things go. And again, this isn't your identity. It's not who you are. Putting that game on the shelf or the trash doesn't mean that you're on the shelf. It doesn't mean that you are trash. It just means something you created didn't work out. And that's, that's life. That's art. So know when to walk away. Know when to leave things alone. Number 43, kill your darlings. That's something that it's very popular to say in writing when you, you have to cut out conversations or paragraphs or entire chapters, even though you love them, even though it's great, it doesn't actually move the story along or it doesn't actually create any interesting tension or any character development. It's just there because you like it as the, the author. Same thing in game design. So many games have mechanisms and have systems and things like that just don't need to be there. They don't actually make the game more fun. Sometimes they may actually make the game less fun, which you definitely want to cut those out, but there's a lot of things in game design that are just there and they work. They're fine. It's part of the game. It's a certain phase of play. It's a certain number of rounds, whatever it is, but does it really need to be there or is it only there because you've put a lot of time, effort, maybe money into it. And now you're, you're, you're feeling like, Oh, I don't want to cut that because gosh, I put so much into it. But if it makes the game better, 
get rid of it, right? Again, this is not who you are. This is something you're making. And if you really want to create something great, it's okay to let things go. Even if you put a lot of time and effort and energy or money into it, if it makes the product, makes the game better and more fun, kill those things that, that take away from that. Number 44, just ship the thing. And what that means is you got to get to a place where you're done. The game design itself technically can never be done. There's always something to tweak. There's always another number to change, another card to add or take away, or another way you can mess with the dice system and make it 12% instead of 11%. You, you can do that endlessly, but you got to get to a point where you're done and it's okay to be done. And yeah, there might still be some things that need to be worked on, whatever, but finish. You got to finish things. I've talked to so many amazing designers and I ask them, how do you, how do you know when the game is done? And quite a few have told me uh, when the game is at the manufacturer, like when the deadline hits and the publisher says, hey, we need it by this date to get this thing out in time for Christmas or in time for Gen Con, whatever. And that's how you know when it's done is when, when you don't have a choice, right? So maybe that's something you need to do is set a deadline and go, okay, I get to this day, I'm done. Now, obviously, if something pops up, you're like, oh shoot, that's broken. We really need to fix that or change the rules or you know, add or take away. There's always context involved, but you got to get to a point where you're like, hey, done enough is done enough. Good enough is good enough. And put it out the door. Again, another reason to have other people around you to go, hey, this is good. It's done. This is fun. This is the game you're trying to make. This is the experience you're going for. Stop worrying about 11% versus 12% on the dice ratios. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Just ship the thing. Number 45, niche down. A game for everyone is really a game for no one. And so you really want to figure out who is this game for and how do I laser focus on that with the, the way it's played, the mechanisms, the theme, the experience, all that kind of stuff. Just get real specific, right? You would much rather have people that love your game and people that hate your game versus just people that, you know, everyone's like, yeah, this game's okay, meh. Right? It's better to have highs and lows as opposed to a whole bunch of just in the middle, uh, it's fine. Right, And so what does it look like for you to do that with your game? How can you niche down and really focus on a specific group of gamers, a certain group of people, not trying to appeal to everybody because you're going to be forgotten in about 30 seconds. Number 46, don't worry about the art. Right Now when you're playtesting and you need a prototype, you obviously want to have something on the card, something on the board, so that players can look at it and go, okay, I understand this is what's going on, to give them an idea, to give them kind of uh, the feeling that you're going to have later on when the game is finished and published and you know, all the art is finalized. But a lot of times as a designer, you can get so bogged down in going online, going on Google Images and trying to find the perfect clip art, the perfect illustration to put on that card, and then you waste a ton of time and it feels like progress. It feels like you're doing something that matters, that's important, but you're not. Because if you spent 30 seconds and went and just found an icon and used that as the illustration versus three hours finding the perfect illustration that you can't use anyway because it's copyrighted, you've wasted a lot of time in that three hour process that you could have been doing something that really did matter. And the danger is you feel like progress is being made, but it's kind of like being stuck in the mud, right? And your tires are spinning at 100 miles an hour, but you're not going anywhere. So don't worry too much about art and all the different things. Just, again, do good enough. Do what you can to get the point across and then let that, let that stand for itself. Number 47, quit trying to figure out the perfect title, right? A lot of times we spend so much time trying to find that perfect little pun, that perfect little set of words that's going to have people giving us money as soon as they see it without even knowing what the game is actually. Uh, but a lot of times titles are better found than created. What I mean by that is they, they come out of the game design process in general, the playing process where you go, oh, this would be a better title. And so don't overthink it. 
untitled game number seven is totally fine to playtest and prototype and figure things out. Don't waste too much time overthinking it. Don't try to figure out the perfect title. Uh, sometimes you actually have a title before the game design process begins. Actually, I've, I've seen designers that had an idea for a title and then everything came after that. And that definitely happens. But again, don't procrastinate by trying to find perfect. Just go with what works for now. And if, it, if you find a better way to do it, you find a better title later, change it out. But just design, playtest, prototype, all the things that actually move the game forward as opposed to just wasting time trying to figure out a good pun. Number 48, quit asking for price quotes. And this is when you go to manufacturers' websites and you fill out all the details and you submit you know, their survey, their online form for how much would this game cost if I printed it myself? A lot of people think, okay, let me just start a business and go to Kickstarter and, and do it all myself without actually thinking through all that goes into that. And then they'll do it when their game's like 50% done. And so it's going to change. And, and so unless your game is like 90, 95% done, and you're really pretty sure that you're going to do this yourself as opposed to pitching it to a publisher, Stop wasting time. Again, so many things I'm talking about right now are just ways that it's really just procrastination. It looks like planning. It looks like figuring something out that matters, but it's really just uh, wasting time that could be much better spent actually working on your game. Number 49, speaking of time, schedule your design time. Specific days, specific times. Again, act like this is your job, right? Don't just wait for motivation. Don't just wait for inspiration to strike. That's what amateurs do. They just sit around and wait. Hopefully, you know, something's going to happen. They're going to have some ideas randomly. No, professionals, they show up to work whether they feel like it or not. So maybe it's Tuesday night, you know, 9 o'clock p.m. after the kids are in bed. You can, you can go work on game design from 9 to 10.30. Maybe it looks like waking up early in the morning. Maybe it looks like, you know, going to lunch in a, in a quiet place and not going with other people, but going, you know, by yourself so you can work on a game and prototype and playtest things. I don't know what it looks like for you, but you schedule it and you stick to the schedule as much as you can, just like you would for anything else that matters. So anything else that's important to you. You show up to your job at 8.30 in the morning because that's when you're supposed to be there. So why not treat game design or something you really want to take seriously in the same way? Number 50, work on your game every day. Now that doesn't mean you have to have these three-hour design sessions every day or anything like that, but do something that pushes your game forward. If you want to get good at something, do it every day, right? You build a habit. You get into the habit of it being something that you're always working on. And even if it's just something small, even if it's just like, cutting out a few cards today. You've, you've got 10 extra minutes to do some proofreading of your rule book and you're just going to proofread, you know, the first two pages or something like that. But anything is better than nothing. It's kind of like exercise, right? Even if you get up and just walk a quarter of a mile, right? And it takes you five minutes to do it. Well, you're doing laps around everybody sitting on the couch. And so just do something, just do anything. Because the truth is, scientifically speaking, motivation comes after you begin, not before, right? Typically, not all the time, but typically you get going. An object in motion stays in motion, right? So what does it look like to just get into motion? And so set that bar low, right? Maybe it just means working on game design for five minutes every day, right? That's your goal. Five minutes doesn't have to be any more than that. That's just the, the you know, setting the bar as low as you possibly can. Because most of the time, when you hit the five minute mark, you'd be like, ah, I can do 10, I can do 30. I can do an hour, but you got to get in to motion. So what can you do every day that's kind of sets the bar low that then you get going? I, I knew a guy that uh, he really wanted to get in shape. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to start swimming. He had bad knees. He didn't want to lift weights. He's like, I'm going to start swimming. But his goal on a daily basis was just to get into the pool. 
It wasn't to swim a bunch of laps. It wasn't to swim for 30 minutes or an hour. It was literally just get in the pool. And if he gets in the pool and he's checked the box, he's hit his goal for the day. If he's sick, if he doesn't feel like it, if he need, you know, he's got something going on at work, super busy, he can get right back out of the pool and go do it. He's accomplished his goal for the day. But he's like, you know, I'm in the pool. I can do a lap. And he do a lap. And he's like, ah, I can do a few more. And then he do a few more. And eventually he got into super great shape. He lost a ton of weight, gained a bunch of muscle. Looks great now. But his goal was just get into the pool. So what does it look like for you to just work on something, anything that gets the ball rolling, gets you into motion, and do it every day? Number 51, keep a design notebook. And this is more than just like having a place to write down ideas and, you know, an app on your phone or something like that. This is something that is very organized, very structured. Uh, I've used the bullet journal method in the past. That works really well. But a place where you can kind of keep everything in one place that you can come back to six months later, you know, when you kind of put a game on a shelf and you come back to it and you're like, okay, here's all my ideas. But also make sure you're writing down the problems, not just the solutions. Because one thing I've found is sometimes I have a tendency, I'll write down the answer to the issue of the game and then I'll, I'll you know, take a few weeks off and come back and I'll, I'll try that solution and realize, oh, this, this is not fun. This is not any good. But what was the actual problem? What was actually wrong with the game? So make sure you're writing down problems, not just the answers and not just the, the ways to overcome those challenges. What are the actual challenges? And then have, you know, organized ideas under it, the solutions to it. Uh, but anyway, just having a place where you can keep all your thoughts, write down your mission statement for the game, write down the demographics. Like, okay, this is a game for two to four players, uh, ages 14 to 25, you know, whatever the, the specifics of the game are. It just makes it so much easier and you can have a nice notebook that kind of you know looks good on the shelf and kind of makes you feel like you're somebody uh, anyway have a design notebook number 52 fix one thing at a time a lot of times early on in the design your game has a lot of problems and the issue is you try to fix them all at once and then you play the next version of the game and it still has some issues but you're not actually sure which of the solutions made it better and which of them made it worse and so think scientifically right when you're doing a scientific experiment you don't want to have a whole bunch of different things going on because then you don't actually know what's creating the changes right and so if you have multiple problems just fix one right try to fix one and okay we're going to change from dice to cards and this one uh, next play test and see what that does okay that did this all right in this next play test we're going to change this other thing okay that did this and then we're, but anyway just do one thing at a time that way you can easily much more easily pinpoint what's actually wrong and what's actually going to fix the, the issues as opposed to shotgun blasting a whole bunch of ideas and going, yeah, but which one of these is actually making the game more fun? Fix one thing at a time. Number 53, learn how to make an awesome sell sheet. If you want to get your game published, you're probably going to need a sell sheet. Most publishers will ask for a sell sheet. Now, all that is is a one-page document, typically a PDF that you're emailing, that gives your the overview of your game, right? And it's not just big walls of text. It's a handful of, you know, sentences, overview, player count, components list, but then it's also a lot of pictures showing the game in action and let the publisher kind of see it on the table and go, oh, okay, I understand. I get it. I see what's going on here. And it's really, it, its main job is to get you a follow-up email, to get you a, a pitch meeting or get you a meeting at a convention or something like that. But it's just a, a sheet that looks good, right? It's worth the money to hire a graphic designer if you're not any good at this stuff. And like, I'm no good. So I will go find graphic designers and pay them 50 bucks, 100 bucks, you know, whatever it is for their time and get them to create a compelling, good looking sell sheet that then I send out. It makes me look more professional, makes me look a lot more like I know what I'm doing. And so that 
hopefully leads to the publisher thinking the same thing and wanting to actually take a look at my game. Number 54, sell yourself. It's not just your game. It's not just the, the, the design that you're pitching. You're also pitching you. Because I can speak from personal experience. As a publisher, I've met lots of people that, you know, even if they had a great game, I don't know that I would want to work with them for the long, you know, it takes a year or two years for a game to come to market. I'm going to invest two years of, of meetings and conversations and emails back and forth with somebody that, you know, maybe we just aren't in good rhythm. We're not, you know, lined up value-wise or lined up for all sorts of reasons. It's like, uh, no thanks. <laughs> so you're, remember, you're selling yourself as much as you're selling a game design. Uh, are you the kind of person that takes feedback well, takes criticism well, that is easy to work with? Do you respond to emails timely or, or just, do I wait two weeks to hear back from you? Because if I wait two weeks, I'm probably not going to want to work with you. Even if it's like the next ticket to ride, it's like, eh, it might not be worth it for my own <laughs> mental health to, to deal with that. And so just remember, as you're selling your game, you're also selling yourself. Number 55, don't expect anyone else to care about your game. Remember, this is your baby. This is the thing you've put a bunch of time and effort and energy and maybe money into, but not anybody else. Like no one else has to care and that's okay. It's your job as the designer to create a compelling product, a compelling game that gets them interested, that the hook, that the pitch, that you, you say it to them or they see it online, they go, oh, tell me more, right? Don't expect them to care at all. It doesn't matter that you've been working on a game for 10 years. Who cares? Does, I don't care if you've been working on it for 10 minutes. Is it fun? Is it compelling? Does it draw me in to, to play a game that I want to play or not, right? But don't put an expectation on other people. Just design the best game you can, put it out there into the world, and if it's right, if you're actually aiming it at the right people, you've done a good job, then they're going to be drawn in. But don't go online and post comments and throw a little pity party for yourself and be like, oh, no one cares. It, it doesn't matter. That's just the nature of anything creative, any kind of artwork, is that you know, some people are going to care, some people aren't. Oh, well, it's your job to get as many people that you're aiming at to care as possible through your pitch, through the design, through just making a great, amazing product for them to enjoy. Number 56, along those same lines, don't just spam forums. Don't just go online and post about your game and expect everyone to go, oh, here, take my money. You know, every now and then that might happen, but typically if you're just showing up as a nobody, as kind of a, a random person and saying, hey, hey guys, how are you? I'm new here. Uh, here's my game. Please buy it or please give me feedback. Like, well, who, who are you? Right? So it's much, much better. Get involved with these communities, help other people, you know, offer feedback, comments, different things like that. And then be like, hey, I've got a game that I'm working on. Is anybody interested in it? Can I get some feedback on this? Would you mind reading my rule book? Hey, here's my Kickstarter campaign. But I mean, it takes a long time. If you just show up and spam the link to your game or a link to your email list or something like that, you're probably going to get zero. <laughs> you're probably going to get nobody interested in it because you're only for yourself. You're only here to sell something. And a lot of times that just doesn't go over very well. So it's much better to become involved and then post, you know, ideas to help other people, and then post about yourself, post about the projects that you're working on. That way people don't just see it as you being like a sleazy used car salesman, or you just trying to spam. They'll see you as an actual contributor to the community, and then they'll be much more inclined to hear what you have to say. Number 57, don't even consider Kickstarter unless you really, truly want to start a business because that's what it is. I know it's easy to go online and you go on Kickstarter or GameFound or some of these other crowdfunding uh, sites and you see that someone made a million dollars and like that could be me. Probably not. Again, don't bank on being the outlier. It's probably not going to happen. So kind of 
manage your expectations going in, but just understand it's starting a business and there's tax stuff to figure out. And there's all sorts of uh, things to do as far as you're starting an LLC and uh, understanding all the marketing and doing all the project management and hiring the artists and the graphic designers and figuring out the shipping and the logistics, the freight, the manufacturing. There's a million things to be aware of. And the truth is most Kickstarters don't actually make money. So just because they have a million dollars that come in through the crowdfunding campaign, it doesn't mean they made a million dollars. A lot of campaigns, even if they make a ton of money, don't actually make anything. A lot of people go into the red. They sometimes go bankrupt even after a very, what looks like successful campaign. So understand it's a business. It's starting a business. It's doing all the things that go along with business. So just be aware of that. Don't get caught up in all the flashy numbers and the million dollar, you know, dollar signs. Number five. Number 58, don't consider Kickstarter unless you're fairly certain that your game will actually fund. And this goes into the game design process because Kickstarter is a very specific community. It's a group of people looking for very specific types of games. There are certain games that do really well, certain games that don't do very well at all. And so what kind of games are you designing and is it for the Kickstarter market? Also, all the things that go along with designing the game, a lot of things I've already talked about, building an email list, getting uh, involved in different communities, all sorts of things that build into this much bigger idea of crowdfunding. Make sure you're doing all of those things. It's not just, hey, I've got an idea, I throw it up on Kickstarter, I make a bunch of money, and then I'm off to the races. It, it just doesn't work that way. And so make sure you're doing all the things from a game design perspective and just a networking perspective that actually ensure that you're going to fund or at least be close to it uh, before you even consider running a campaign. Number 59, don't ask people to do things for free. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people post online that, hey, I don't have any money uh, to pay you as an artist or you as a graphic designer, but it'd be really good for your portfolio. And so it's good for your portfolio and it'd be good for me and my business and my crowdfunding campaign that I'm gonna be making money off of, but it's good, it's good for you to do it for free. That's garbage. It's complete another garbage. Now, I know it can be a little discouraging sometimes as a game designer to think through how much time, how many hours you put into something, and then you calculate that and realize that, hey, I made like 42 cents an hour working on this game. Just don't, just don't do it. Just don't worry about that calculation. But don't ask people to do things for free. Now, maybe you want to trade a service. You want to trade something. Hey, will somebody proofread my rule book and then I'll proofread yours? You kind of have that as something. But if it's something that's going to help you make money, then you should be paying people for that service, right? And, and just realize that you get what you pay for typically, which leads right into number 60. Don't be a cheapskate. Just like you shouldn't be trying to get things done for free and assuming that other people are, are going to want to, to help them in some way. Um, Pay people, pay people what they're worth. Art is expensive, graphic design is expensive. A lot of things that go into creating a product that goes to the marketplace is expensive. And so again, if you're gonna design games that you ultimately want to publish yourself, be thinking through the cost, right? If you're gonna design a deck building game that has 200 different kinds of cards, unique cards that require 200 pieces of art, it's very expensive and think through the, the business side of that as you're working on the game in general. Also, if you're going to pitch the game, it's something the publisher, I assure you, is going to be thinking about. Wow, that's a lot of art. I don't want to take on this project because it's going to be way more expensive to produce it. And I don't know if we're going to be able to actually make money off of it in the marketplace as it is right now. It's just things to be thinking about as a game designer. But again, you get what you pay for. And if people help you in some way, pay them in some way. If you have playtesters helping out, you know, even if you're just paying them with, with pizza and, and Coke, you know, that, that's, that's fine. Put their name in the rule book. There's all sorts of things you can do to pay people for various things that aren't necessarily money. But ultimately, a lot of times for most of these services, you want to pay people real money 
because it's valuable. If, if it's worth it to you to do that, it should be worth it to you to actually pay people for what they're helping you out with. Number 61, fail fast. What I mean by that is get the game to the table as quickly as possible. Figure out what's broken, what doesn't work, what's really fun, what's not fun at all. Because the faster you do that, the faster you can iterate, the faster you can create the next version of the game to make it better. A lot of times designs will float around in our heads for a long time. We'll write down all these notes. We'll plan out the entire game start to finish on our, our note in our notebook. And then eventually, you know, six months later, you get it to the table and you go, oh, this game is trash and I don't think it can recover. Uh, let me work on something else. And so you just wasted a whole bunch of time and mental processes on something that wasn't even worth it. And so the faster you can get an idea out, even if it's just pushing around some note cards and some dice, just a very basic, simple version of the game, it's more than, than just writing down all the ideas and notes. The truth is a lot of times the game in your head is perfect. It's going to be the next big thing. It's an amazing game. How, how could uh, anyone not want to buy this game? But then when you get it out on the actual table, it's got a lot of issues. It's got a lot of problems, right? But then you can fix them. That's the thing. You can't edit what doesn't exist, right? So you get it out there as quickly as possible, and then you can fix it as quickly as possible. Number 62, playtest. Nothing will make you a better game designer than playtesting. Playtesting your game over and over and over again in all sorts of different ways and all sorts of different from all sorts of different angles. Just playtest, playtest, playtest. You will learn so much more from doing this. But it's an, it's an action, right? It's an active thing, and it's not just playing your game. That's another thing that a lot of times new designers don't understand. You're not just sitting down to play the game. This is actually much more scientific than that. You're, you're going in with a hypothesis. You're thinking through, okay, what are some questions that I have that I'm trying to get answered, right? Is the battle system taking too long or is the economy in the game too tight? Do I, does there need to be more money in the economy? Whatever it is, but you're going into the play test with something you're trying to figure out. You're not just playing it to see who wins or who loses, but play testing is the number one thing to improve you as a game designer. Number 63, play test without saying a word. Now, this is often called blind playtesting, but I much prefer the, the phrase unguided playtesting. I think that makes a lot more sense. Also, there's less confusion with that. One time I had a, someone send me an email and they said, so blind playtesting, is that where you give people the game and then you close your eyes and you just listen to them play and that you get some good feedback there? It's like, no, that's, that's not what that means. Uh, it means you give people the game and then you just step back and you just watch, right? You don't say a word. And when they make a mistake, when they misinterpret a rule, when they misread something or they play the game poorly or wrongly, you just take notes and you don't say a word about it, right? So play testing and just kind of let it go. Start to finish, right? Hand them the box, let them teach themselves the rules and things like that. And that's another thing I really just love to do is play testing only the rule book. You hand someone the rule book, they've never seen it before, never read it, don't know anything about the game, and then they teach me how to play. And I don't say a word. When they miss, you know, read something or whatever, I'm just taking notes the whole time. And I, I do that with people who are really experienced gamers, and I do that with people who know how to play Uno and Connect Four, right? And I just kind of see the stumbling blocks and the issues, and maybe they get something, you know, out of line. They, they went from number one down to number four because I, I didn't, you know, number things in a way that was visually that made sense. The graphic design maybe is a little bit off, something like that. But you learn so much by playtesting and just watching. Number sixty-four, playtest early and often. This goes right along with the whole fail fast, right? Fail as quickly as you can. The sooner you can get an idea in front of other people and get their ideas, get their feedback on it, see how they play the game, see how they interact with the experience, the sooner you can actually make the game 
better. And I know it can be scary. And I know going in, you're like, this is hot garbage. Why would anyone want to play it? And that's a, that's a really good point, right? And so the thing is, you don't have to play a full game. A lot of times early on, I'll go into a, a playtesting session and I'll say, hey guys, we're just going to play the first two rounds. Or we're just going to play for 20 minutes. And I'm just going to get some ideas and, and we'll kind of get some feedback after we're done. But we're not going to play the full 90-minute version because a lot of times playtests they last a long time you're, you're trying to create a game that lasts 45 minutes but the original version of the game lasts three hours because you haven't honed it in yet you haven't cut out all the things that need to be cut and so make sure you're, you're cutting you're make sure you're shutting things down when they need to be right and give playtesters the option to ask them every now and then hey does anybody want to quit are you kind of done are you feeling like you want to go do something else and if they say yes that's totally fine like give them that opportunity right let them know before you start hey if you're done playing just raise your hand be like hey i'm kind of done this is not fun anymore and shut the playtest playtest down you don't have to finish you probably have all you need right to uh, to go back to the drawing board and figure some things out so anyway play test early play test often but don't feel like you have to run full play tests, especially early on. You don't. Number 65, listen to your play testers. They took the time out to play your game. You should take some time out to listen to what they have to say. Now, sometimes they'll say things that are maybe overly critical, overly negative, and maybe they say things without, without being particularly kind or gracious. Don't fall into that trap. Don't let it turn into an argument where you're just defending your game and you're, you know, I've seen so many play tests, unfortunately, devolve into just heated arguments and debates and it's like what are we what are we doing like just thank people for playing uh and, and just kind of listen to what they have to say weigh it you know figure out is this really good feedback good ideas good advice maybe maybe not but just take your notes go back to the design process figure it out from there don't again don't act like someone's attacking you as a person and you as your, in your identity they're just maybe pretty critical of something that you've created that you're trying to make better anyway so again thank them for their time and that actually might make them want to play test the game again. And playtesters are hard to find. So try to keep them around as much as you can. Number 66, don't listen to playtesters. And what I mean that by that is it's usually context, right? One thing I've found is that playtesters are usually really good at being able to verbalize the problem, but pretty terrible at being able to come up with the solution. So for example, they might say, hey, I felt like I just didn't have enough money or I didn't have enough actions to be able to do what I wanted to do. And that's okay, it's a good problem to write down. Do I need to change the action economy, the money economy in the game and give players more options or more opportunities for combos or something like that. But then when they start coming up with ideas on how to fix it, Usually those are pretty bad. Every now and then a playtester, typically a game designer that's playtesting, will come up with something I'm like, ooh, that's a really good solution. Um, but again, first, like I said earlier, write down the problem. Don't just write down solutions. Um, but just realize most solutions are coming from a place of a gamer, not typically a game designer. And so a lot of their ideas are really them trying to make the game more theirs. Then, and it might not be your vision, right? They might be trying to create the experience that they really want, and it might not be the experience that you're trying to put out into the world. And so don't feel like you have to listen to everything. Again, chew the meat, spit out the bones. Sometimes they have really good feedback, sometimes they don't, and that's okay. That's part of the playtesting process. Number 67, playtest with different groups and different people. One trap you can run into is playtesting the game over and over and over again with the same people because then they become masters. They become really, really good at the game and that might skew what you need to be doing from a design side of things, right? And one thing I learned is, you know, I had a game I was playtesting as a solo game, playtesting a lot by myself and with other another person that was really, we got really good at the game. And so it was to a point where we were winning like 
75, 80% of the time, which is way higher than I wanted it to be. I wanted players to win somewhere around 35, 40% of the time. And so I was like, oh, we're winning like 80%. Let me make the game a lot harder. And then I did that. And then I put it in front of people who had never played the game, had no mastery of it at all. And they got smoked. They got decimated every time they played it because they didn't know all the ins and outs and the nuances of the game. And so I was like, oh, I have made the game way too hard because I know all the other side of things they don't. So I had to ratchet it back down and, and kind of make it much, much easier. So again, you can run into that. So play test the game with different kinds of people. Again, go to conventions, go to uh, game stores, go to meetups, whatever, and play the game with people who really like this kind of game. Play test the game with folks that aren't really into it. You know, all their feedback matters because at game night, typically you're not going to have a bunch of people that all love the same kinds of games. They're going to like different ideas, different themes and genres and, and play times and things like that. But if they want to play together, you're going to have a situation where you have one person who's really excited. They just bought the game. They can't wait to get it to the table. And then there's another person at game night who's not really into it, but they'll play it because other people want to, whatever. Well, you want both of those people to have as good of an experience as you can. And it really helps if you play tested the game with both those kinds of people to really create something for for a lot of people at game night. Not trying to create a game for everybody, but at least a game that these people can love and these people over here can at least tolerate well enough to play it with the people who love it. So anyway, play test with lots of different people. Number 68, play test with people who don't know you. I know your mom and your second cousin think you've created the best game ever made, but maybe their opinions are a little bit biased. Maybe they're a little bit less likely to tell you the full on truth. And so it's really helpful to find people who don't know you, whether it's conventions or, or at a game store or something like that, that you can play the game and they'll just tell you the truth and they're not worried about seeing you at Thanksgiving or the next morning at the breakfast table. So again, play tests with people who you've never met before, or even if you only have like a passing knowledge of them or if you know, find people online that you've interacted with, maybe a little bit here and there that you can send your game, they send yours and you play test each other's games, you send feedback, but you don't know each other. You're not going to see each other at the office the next day or anything like that. Super valuable. Number 69, use a play test feedback form. Uh, I'll put the form that I use in the description below, but you want something that you can kind of track data and it doesn't have to be super specific. A lot of times you're taking your own notes and writing down specific ideas, but you want something at the end of the game or even in the middle, you can have different phases when you offer people a you know, feedback form that they can kind of write down something, give you, you know, highs and lows and you know, have a numbering system that's kind of simple to understand as far as like what you're trying to accomplish with the game length and the game depth and complexity and things like that, but just something where you can track and then you can compile that data and see where your game is. Is it kind of right in the, the middle as far as what you're, what you're aiming at or have you gone too far this way or too far that way, super helpful to have a feedback form. Number 70, film the playtest sessions if you can. It's so valuable to be able to go back and watch the film because you can typically only focus on one thing at a time. So if you're watching one person as they're playing, you know, and you're kind of taking notes on their experience, but then there's, you know, other people at the table that you can't see. And so if you've got it filmed, you can go back after the game and, and watch what happened? Watch what was going on and you'll notice other things. You can kind of speed it up, put in 2x speed or something like that to kind of, you know, get a, a, a faster version of it. But it's super helpful just to be able to go in and kind of watch different things, see different things that you're not going to be, be able to see at the table in the first time you're, you're playing it. And number 71, playtest. Did I mention playtest? Playtest over and over and over again. Different angles, different ways. Playtest your game, playtest other people's game, playtest as much as you possibly can. Again, nothing will make you better as a game designer. Nothing will improve your skills as a game designer more than playtesting. So just do it as much as you possibly can.
All right, so that was my 71 ways to become a better game designer. I really hope you found some nuggets of wisdom in there, some good takeaways to help you design great games that people love. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being part of the Board Game Design Lab community, and good luck with everything you got going on right now.